This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 309, Strangers and Aliens and the Holy Grail. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend's plumber. Versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did Surprise, was that He created something. So we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Strangers. And aliens, and I'm Ben, Ben Avery. I'm here with my friend Steve, Steve McDonald. Steve McDonald. Yeah. Yep. And we are here to talk about the Holy Grail. Uh, and this is a topic that it kind of came up for two reasons. One is I was prepping Easter lessons for Sunday school classes. And the other was I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail with my kids the other night. <laughs> and it got me thinking, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect topic for us to talk about crosses through like these sci-fi things and faith things, you know, and there's like this fantasy. real stuff to talk about and this fantasy stuff to talk about. And yeah. 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 So that is our topic for the day. But before we do, Steve, I need to talk about something real quick. Okay. All right. Um, if you follow our Facebook page, then, you know, yes. um, you, you'll see every once in a while, especially lately, Evan's been posting a lot of um, things about his projects that he's working on, like Black Blossom. Uh, he wrote a book about Eve and Adam mm -hmm. from yep. Eve's perspective and, you know, some things like that. And so you see, you know, little updates. That's what Facebook's for is little updates. Um, you may also have seen some things from from me recently about a Kickstarter yeah. campaign that I'm in the middle of. And so I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, and it's supersonicpodcomics.com slash Kickstarter, and it is an audio drama series, and Steve, we're, we're getting aggressive with this because I, we're running. I went on oh, I went ahead. on the Kickstarter site, and I was like, you know, okay, well, this is, you know, this is another one of, you know, uh, JSRLs and, and, uh, and Ben's, you know, things, and I went on there, and I'm like, wait a minute, it's more than just them. It's like you get a whole like cadre of, of like a whole team. We have a we have a small posse right now. It's going to be growing yeah. into a bigger posse because we're going to be looking for um, actors, people mm -hmm. to voice the characters. Um, and we're doing uh, we're doing the, it's not just uh, J.S. Earls from the Bible Dig podcast, but also Nathan yeah. James Norman from the Untold podcast. He's involved as right. well. And we're doing four series that will come out every month. And. Basically, it's like New Comic Wednesday, and so yeah. every month, first Wednesday is going to be one one title, second Wednesday is going to be another title, third Wednesday another title, fourth Wednesday another title, and if there's five Wednesdays, we're doing what the comic book companies do, which is we're going to put out some sort of special top secret 
thing that's related, but not one of those running series, you know? Nice. And yeah, so we're, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And so I just want to mention that again, it's a way to support this podcast if you wanted to. Uh, but it's also the podcasts eventually when we, when we release them, they'll be released for free, but we're doing the Kickstarter because you can't, um, you can't make money from free to pay people. Yeah, and free is difficult to generate cash with. And we do want to to pay the the talent behind things to get production costs out of the way right. because it's a different kind of production with a with that kind of podcast. So, yeah, we're excited and I'm that excited. That's awesome. I'm, and as as soon as I have something to share, I will be probably promoting it on our website. Indeed. And I I have a lot of buns in the oven just to say I just went through like the last month where I had to be doing like a whole bunch of other stuff and putting stuff on the back burner. But now I'm like opening up a couple more front burners. But Steve, so, back burner yeah. stuff and oven stuff. You, you got to be careful. You don't burn the buns, man. I'm not going to burn don't the buns. Don't burn the buns. No, okay. No bun burner eye. No, no. I mean, if you leave them in there for too long, you know, you, you just got to do it. These have been in there for a long time, but it's been like a slow burn. <laughs> a slow burn Seriously. is still a burn, though. Man. Just a slow cook. It's yeah. been on, like, simmer. It's been simmering. These have been simmering for years. Some of these for decades. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go on too much about that because, you know, you just need to do it. Don't, don't, I'm, I'm, don't talk I'm, about how long they've been simmering. I'm working Stop on simmering. It. I'm actually working on them for okay, some, th- right. some of these for the first time in decades. <laughs> okay. All right. As long as you're actually doing some work on them, I'm, I'm good with I'm that. Working. Cause that is the first line of advice I give to anyone when we're, when they ask me about, you know, any kind of creative, anything. Yeah. I tell them you know, it's not going to get done if you don't start doing it. Right. And, and, you know, so no advice is going to help you unless you start doing it. And that's, right. that's my first piece of advice. And sometimes I follow my own advice even. Um, and sometimes I don't like I'm, every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, so that's supersonicpodcomics.com slash Kickstarter. And could you have made it? Could you have made that longer? Could have, could have, could have. Okay. We, we, we thought about it. Um, and we thought, no, no, this is just long enough to be obnoxious, but just short enough that people can remember it. So. I had trouble remembering it, but. I'm I'm elderly, so. <laughs> well, you can just go to Facebook and find links too, but. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and wh- if we get to our goal, we got some stretch goals that'll um, actually open up even more stories. And yeah, we're excited. We are excited. And like I said, that is another way to, to support the podcast is uh, by doing that because things that go on with that podcast are going to directly, um, like like as far as storage and, and things like that, they they do directly affect this um, on the back end production side. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the the Holy Grail, Steve. All right, let's do it. Uh, can you tell me about the Holy Grail? What 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 is what is this thing called the Holy Grail? And why do people well, talk about it when they're talking about looking for you know collectibles <laughs> and stuff? I, I sort of think of the Holy Grail as sort of like the ultimate MacGuffin. I you I know? would agree in a lot of ways. And in some ways, it's not the first MacGuffin, but it is one of the earliest, best examples of a MacGuffin. 
and and I can prove it because another word for a MacGuffin is a Holy Grail. <laughs> you know, if you're writing a story, you know, you can think about it in a lot of different ways. And sometimes when you're writing a story or telling people a story or, you know, whatever, you know, it's you sort of say in this is the Holy Grail. And the people know that unless you're writing about the Holy Grail, it's not the Holy Grail. It's the thing. But it's more than a MacGuffin. Like when you're when you're talking Holy Grail stuff, mm-hmm. the MacGuffin is just whatever, whatever it is they're after. Holy Grail adds a layer to that where it's it's not just whatever. It's like this is the most important thing or it's the most elusive thing or it's the most um, coveted thing right. in in that area or in that story or in that that person's view or um, th- it adds this layer of importance. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the Holy Grail we're talking about is like the Holy Grail of Holy Grail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. And so this thing is um, the grail, the cup that Christ would have used at the Last Supper. And in, in like theory. a lot of uh, relics, uh, this is something that came out of um, came out of history. And came out of, you know, this real event that happened. And then people started talking about, um, hey, we've got pieces of the cross, you know. And, and I heard someone say, like, if if all the pieces of, of Christ's cross that people claimed were from his cross were actually put together to make a cross, it would be like 50 feet high or something right. like that, you yeah. know, because – and. They and would, you can get, you know, the, the sycamore uh, part of the cross and you can get the pine part of the cross and you can get the, you know, yeah. the, uh, all the different types of wood, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so it's, well, it's possible there is at least two pieces, two kinds of wood. Well, the, the cross beam could have been yeah, a different kind of wood yeah, than the, could have been, the but, upright support. But, um, but anyway, doubtful. the the grail was not added into that kind of litany of things until later on in in history. But mm-hmm. but it did get added, and then somehow, and this is something you know, I don't know, maybe you know, but it became linked to the uh, the Arthurian legend, right? And it became linked to the Arthurian legend because it was one of the quests that. Um, that his knights went on to, to find that is the, true. this this holy grail. And that is true. And then it went from there, like the legend says that Joseph of Arimathea got his hands on this cup and then went to Britain uh, as a missionary. And then that's how the, the grail got there. Um which it is possible but really unlikely <laughs> that that happened <laughs> um but when i was explaining this to my kids at one point recently they because we were they actually were in a play about joseph of arimathea uh and so we were talking about joseph of arimathea and the play itself i really wish the man who introduced the play had not said this but he said this play is you know there's only three verses about joseph of arimathea in the bible but we did our research and this play is completely true. <laughs> and when they started doing the play, they've got these things that, you know, you look them up and historically speaking, maybe it's possible. And people have definitely theorized about this, mm-hmm. but they've got him as Mary's cousin. 
Um, wow. So he, he, right there, they start off with him courting Mary as her cousin. And they kept saying over and over and over again that they called him uncle, uncle Joseph. Mary was calling him uncle Joseph. She's getting married to her, her Joseph and she's calling him uncle Joseph. And they're talking about uncle Joseph. Remember that time when you thought you were going to marry me? And I'm just like, <laughs> I get weird. that there's some cultural things that actually make this. So it's not as weird as it sounds, but why do they keep saying over and over again? Cause it sounds really weird. Um, and this is a play for, for younger people. And, and so there was that and, and they had him, uh, show up at the, um, at the, the temple when Jesus was lost, uh, when he mm-hmm. was 13 and it's just like, well, wait, <laughs> like you, you started off by saying everything's true and I'm just, no, no. And they didn't put him in the temple because he was one of the, um, one of the, the chief priests. Uh, no, they put him in the temple because he just happened to be there because he was doing business with his um, shipping business. And <laughs> they didn't have him uh, take the grail, though, in, in that play. Um, but that's how I got, I got talking about this with my kids. And they're like, right. um, how he went to England with this. And it was surprising to them because it seems like it's so far away. But the truth is. In you know, within the first few decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, there were people who were, you know, going up as far as as the the Britain, the British Islands. And, oh yeah, Rome and, went all the way up to yeah, yeah. So basically, wherever Rome went, uh, they did have Christian missionaries who who went that far, and mm-hmm. so it, it, that early and. I always found that very interesting. But anyway, Joseph Arimathea possibly would have taken this cup there and then it gets left there and becomes something that is coveted by Arthur and his knights, but you had to be a pure of heart. And so I, th- I believe it's uh, Sir Percival uh, was the one that they send out to find it. Well, in Mort de Arthur, which is um, probably the, you know, the uh, Mallory is the the one who took a lot of the legends and sort of streamlined it to tell his own story about this whole stuff. Um, so in Mort to Arthur, uh, it, it's, it's the first English translation. That's why it's so huge, and that's why it's so um, uh, influential in, in literature. Um, the, uh, what happens is uh, Lancelot, his son Galahad, um, is the one who— Oh, Galahad. Yeah, not he's the one, right? He's the one uh, that's prophesied to find the Grail, and you know, through a lot of stuff happening. Read the read the books. I mean, read the the story. If you like uh, fantasy, if you like um, knights and magic and that type of stuff, if you like this stuff, go read the originals. You know, I mean, to- uh, Tolkien I'll say is this great. though: I have not read them because they're boring. They can be boring. It's boring. It so, may be boring, but if you know that this is like where literature is based off of, then you know, if you're one of those people, go and read it. You know, read uh, the Fairy Queen. Arthur shows up in the Fairy Queen as Prince Arthur, actually, in the Fairy Queen, and you know, it, just the whole rich literary traditions that surround this stuff if you don't want to dig into it if you want to read truncated versions of it or stuff like that you can do that too but if you really want to dig in and find out where 
you know, these tropes that you see in Monty Python and lots of other places, you know, and the and the the rich uh, stuff that's there that people still use to this day to to make these stories, you know, it, it might be a little dry, but you know, Ben, of, of all the people in the world who will sit through you know almost any movie or TV series, you know, even stuff that other people might might consider not even worthy for for it to appear on screen and to enjoy a lot of that stuff you know you can you have this singular ability to find appreciation in these things and you know that's one of the the and i'm an english major i mean like let's (laughs) exactly let's let's call me out like if you're gonna call me out let's really call me out like I haven't read it because I never had to. I was never forced to. If I had been forced to, I might have, but it's long and it just, I, I couldn't get into it. Fairy queen is a different story. Uh, That, that, and and I'm not sure exactly why I would say it's a different story. I'd have to sit down and think about it, but fairy queen um, is wonderful and beautiful. And there's so much to it. That's, that's amazing. But uh, more to Arthur. The the thing with Mort to Arthur is it's it's so I don't know it's just it's just so dry even though it's like this is the first place like or one of the first times where these these legends were all pulled together and kind of given structure and given you know and and somewhat um, given a, a a chronology you know and a canon. That actually makes sense, you know, right. somewhat where it's not just, you know, like Greek myths where you have, um, you know, Hercules dying in, in two different ways or three different ways, you know, or something <laughs> right. like that. Um, you know, this is him sitting down and saying, OK, we've got all these legends here and I'm going to pull these threads here and I'm going to pull these together here. And yeah, all apologies yeah, it- to Mallory, you know, <laughs> I, 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 he, it's it's an important work of art. Um but it's the kind of thing where it's just it, it's homework <laughs> and it's just a lot of it. You know, it's like, like it's, a, it's like an assignment. it is not short. And I think it fails in a couple of ways uh, when you're looking at it through a Christian lens in the 21st century. Um, yes, it's foundational English literature, especially in the fantasy realm. It's a compilation from unknown French sources um, and, you know, everyone has sort of based their understandings of, uh, of Arthur off of this. You know, some, some people might go back to the, the unknown sources, but here's someone who took them all mm-hmm. and did the edit, you know, just went through and, and like you said, just strung it all together. Um, it's coming from, um, Britain when it was uh, still Catholic. This is still uh, pre-Protestant Reformation uh, writing. So you, it does, you know, like the Pope shows up and, you know, a lot of the elements are very uh, Catholic. Uh, you know, even the grail itself, uh, a lot of people think it, it represents the womb, you know, like that, those types of things uh, represent that womb that will, you know, something will come out of. So, you know, the uh, has sort of a weird, you know, that type of a structure. And the Grail itself goes back to Celtic legends of like a cauldron where, you know, mm-hmm. the 
they would go to an, uh, the other world and, and look for the, you know, the cauldron. So when you have them, you know, going on this quest to do this, you know, those French writings were influenced by those older Celtic writings who, who knows wrote them, you know, um, and then you have it flowing. So you have some pagan influence as well. Um, and when you get to the fairy queen, now you have the the Reformation sort of informing this uh, this story, and you know even to the point where he's making specific characters. I mean, he has Una as the true church and Duessa as the false church or the Catholic church at the time, because he's writing from that Reformation understanding of the whole you know the whole outlier of Christianity at the time. And now when he pulls in Prince Arthur. And he pulls in, you know, other, uh, you know, literary characters. And maybe they were real. Who knows? Maybe they were based on real characters. Who knows? Um, you know, he can he can take them and, and Christianize them. And to a point where he's not just saying, oh, this pagan thing, we're going to make it a Christian thing. He's pulling the Christian strands out of it and weaving the tale now with those with those Christian strands. Um, I know a lot of people who say, you know, well, Beowulf, obviously it wasn't a Christian writing. It was, you know, monks who took this story and then just put Christian stuff into it. Yeah, it, I guess you can see that. Or maybe what happened was that there were some Christian elements in it and they just popped them a little bit. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to to look a thousand years into the past and see what was going on, but with Mallory and then with, um, you know, with the Fairy Queen, it's sort of like you get this rudimentary, you know, from multiple different sources, sort of woven together type of thing, and because of that, you get the Fairy Queen. I don't think the fairy queen could have existed without Mort de Arthur being what it was. But, you know, with all its, you know, awards and everything, you get that. And then later on, you get the fairy queen. So um, as much as the fairy queen doesn't have much to do with the Holy Grail, <laughs> um, I think that's maybe even intentional. Uh, I didn't research that part of it for for this thing, it just sort of popped into my head. Um, but you know, when you have something like that, you have this, this mythical thing, this, I mean, it really doesn't do anything, you know, it's not, it doesn't still have any wine in it, or some people say it caught the blood of Christ. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Yeah. That's, have, that's another element of it that it was actually, yeah brought to the cross apparently and then for some reason they thought let's catch some blood in it and then <laughs> i don't know what they did with that you know did they wash it because that's unsanitary or what but right. um you know or, or did they try and keep it uh, but that's yeah that is another element of the the myth that we didn't talk about yet yeah a, a deeper understanding of it is the joseph of arimathea thing as well when he went to glastonbury he brought three vessels one had the blood of Christ, one had the sweat of Christ. It gets kind of gross, sorry. Um, and then the other one was the the drinking vessel from the from the Last Supper. So I think a lot of times those get conflated as well. Um, 
you know, sort of like how Excalibur gets conflated as, you know, the sword that he pulls out of the stone. Was that Excalibur or did he get it from the Lady of the Lake? You know, things like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and the idea with the, the Holy Grail is that it, this is the cup that Christ took when he was in the Last Supper and he has broken the bread and said, this is my body and and take it and remember me and then he mm-hmm. he takes the cup and 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 says this wine this is this is my blood uh and take take it and and drink and remember me and and so the the idea of the confl- conflation or whatever where the 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 container of blood and the cup from the last supper becoming the same thing over time makes sense because I mean, Christ literally said, you know, this, this cup, this, this, this wine is, is my blood. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just, it's, uh, it's over time, you know, has kind of gathered this, uh, this myth around it. And same thing happened with the, the spear that pierced his side, um, where, uh, that the spear of destiny or whatever it is in some, some, some of the, uh, fiction that's written about that but these these things that touched christ or that christ touched that mm-hmm. carry power afterward from from him and you know and, and so the grail it makes sense that it'd be one the difference is that the grail actually is something that christ talked about in a special way you know and and actually talked about a metaphorical meaningful um uh well property to it um right. and whereas the spear no that's just something hey we're, we're taking that and we're we're going to say that this this has power and and the the cross itself we're going to say you know these these splinters of wood have power and then there's the shroud you know um where it was laid over his 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 dead body and so there now that has you know power and right. um this place where he was, you know, that has power and, and, and all these things that, that became, um, in a lot of ways became almost a tourist trade, uh, for, for the Holy land. Um, Mm -hmm. and then also became something that, um, you know, that would, that would be something that, uh, uh, a, a king or someone of great importance would, would take and, and say, this is in my castle now. And so I, have this thing and it's important. I have the, I have the bones of an apostle in my castle, you know, and, and then now that's, that's one of my great treasures. And, and, um, and a lot of them obviously were fakes. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say all of them, because I think that there are some situations where there, uh, there are maybe the, the bones of an apostle there. Um, that's a, another topic for another day, but there are a couple books that I've read where I'm just like, Oh, that actually feels really reasonable and not to, um, Da Vinci code. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, right. But why would you want it? I mean, it's, it just seems like, you know, I the mean, bones it, of the apostle thing is not, you're, it's not a possession. You bury it, you know, and, and you have like the, um, the jar or whatever that they, cause they would bury a body and then after decomposition, they would take the bones of the body and put them into uh, a jar sometimes. not I don't know if that happened every time. I just know that that is one way that the, the Jewish people used to bury people. And, you know, so the death of an apostle near where you live and you're, you know, a feudal king or something and, and you, oh, this duke over here has the, – the book uh, 
I don't have it here. It's at, it's at church. Sorry. Um, it's in search of the real di- disciples or something like that. And it's a really good book. Um, I'll have to, to look it up, but it's, it's really interesting. It's a, it's got some, I, I think really reasonable thoughts about like where the different apostles were buried and, and yeah, just the possibilities of, of them, um, actually you being able to visit where they are buried. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually probably is a real thing. Not all of them, but some of them. <laughs> but still, still kind of ew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you are talking about dead bodies. Yeah. Okay. Not in search of the real apostles. It's in search or the search for the 12 apostles. And if you want a hardcover, it's 67 bucks on Amazon. But if you want a paperback, it's only 14. Um, and I've read that book cover to cover twice. And, and then also have... My copy has tons and tons and tons of uh, post-it notes sticking out of the side because I use that as one of my one of my main research points for when I wrote the book, The Twelve, which is about mm-hmm. um, you know the the, the truth. Each each disciple received right. a chapter in there, except for Judas. They didn't want Judas to get his own chapter, so that chapter goes to his replacement. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I did write one for Judas and, and they said, Oh no, 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 we, we didn't want that. Did we not tell you that? I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> you, you didn't tell me that. So that would um, be in like the special edition, yeah. you know, the 20th anniversary or something. Well, I actually turned around and used some of what I'd written at that for the Easter uh, episode that we did that had the different readings from scripture and, and stories that I'd written um, from, Oh, it was, I think, three years ago, 2015. I'm actually thinking about re-releasing it around Easter this year. But Interesting. So the Judas chapter ended up in as one of the readings in that. So it wasn't that's lost. An awesome thing. That's, that's an awesome thing about being a writer is, you know, sometimes you can just tuck those things away and then they pop back up somewhere else. Uh, I love being able to work on that book, The, the Twelve. Mm-hmm. Just just diving into the, the apostles and yeah, it's a good supplement for um, the the gospel stuff that I did with mm-hmm. the Kingstone Bible. Yeah, so good stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, the Grail in fiction then, and and because uh, you know, it obviously the one that brought brought this up to mind was uh, <laughs> um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which right. Monty Python and the Holy Grail is all about. King Arthur and his quest to find mm-hmm. a grail. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and they get to one castle and they're like, oh, we've already got, we've already got 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're on the, the quest there. And, and that, what's really interesting about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, this is a little bit of a insider baseball, I'm going to tell you right now. Ooh. But um, when I was writing The Hedge Knight, uh, one of the yeah. notes that George Martin gave me and Mike Miller, the artist on that book, was to watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail because they had the period costuming down really well. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's the period costuming that he would imagine when he's writing his, his stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it, so you watch it and you, it's actually, yeah, actually, this is a fairly decent historical fiction costuming. <laughs> Not, not a lot of the other stuff, but um, 
And anyone who is on our Facebook page, also uh, today I just posted a, a video of someone who cut together a uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail trailer to make it look like a really serious historical fiction kind of thing. <laughs> and it's amazing. The That's people funny. Who, whoever did that, they did it almost perfectly. There was one or two things where you're just like, oh, a joke just crept into this because you can't get away from it. But um, – <laughs> But it wasn't intentional on on the cut, and right. oh man, uh, so that's that's one place in in fiction that you see that the Holy Grail pop up, mm-hmm. but you don't really see the Grail itself. And I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it. But uh, really, the 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 quest gets interrupted, and yeah, it's and then, it's. It's a PG movie. You know, if you're watching it with kids, watch it first, and then you can sort of edit those parts out. I did. This is one of the few times I've done this with my kids where I'm like, we're going to watch this, but I'm skipping a scene. Yeah. Usually, if I have to skip a scene, I, I just don't even mess with it. I don't bother with it. I'm like, yeah. We don't have to watch it if we have to skip a scene. But for this one, I was, you know what? We're going we're gonna to go ahead and watch this, and I'm just going to skip the one scene that gets a little bit blue. Um, yep. Which for Monty Python, uh, you know, they they could get blue, and mm-hmm. but for their PG movies, they force themselves not to, mm-hmm. and that's that's why the Holy Grail I think stands up. Still, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other big one that probably comes to mind for most people is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Right. I don't mind parking here a little bit because this one has some pretty interesting spiritual significance. Uh, There is the three riddles about the man of faith and the penitent man and, you know, those those kind of things toward the end. But it's the big reveal at the end that just for me, um, it made it made a really strong statement about who Christ was Mm -hmm. at the end there when. They have all these cups and the knight who's been alive for, for who knows how long is saying, right. you know, you must choose, but choose wisely. And <laughs> if you've seen the movie, then you know exactly what we're talking about. If you haven't seen the movie, it's quite possible you've seen the scene. Um, but I'd also say, hey, this is a really good movie. And it's been out since 1989. Like you should you should check it out. Yeah, it. it I, I think if we say anything about spoilers i mean come on it's it's been out for a while guys so what i like what it says about the the just the character of christ in a lot of ways um is there's all these cups and and most of them are elaborate and and they have jewels on them and they look like um these these just very very fancy and 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 um and luxurious cups, you know, and, and so the Nazi takes the one that looks the most beautiful and he drinks from it and he did not choose wisely. <laughs> and then, um, Indy, of course he needs it because of the healing properties it's supposed to have and his dad's dying. And so he looks around and finds a cup that just looks like a cup. And he says, that's the cup of a carpenter. Right. And, and even more than the whole penitent man, faithful man, you know, those those things, which are, they're, they're neat. They're cool. And yes, um, more than once I've seen them used in a youth group setting to make an example. 
you know, for, for teenagers because, you know, it was the nineties. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that cup of the carpenter thing, just that's, that's thought provoking. And, you know, first of all, smart, you know, good on you, Indy, you know, you're, you're a smart guy and, and your, your father didn't <laughs> die. Um, but it, yeah, it's just that idea of this, this man who was not here as a King, you know, this is the man who rode in on a donkey, um, yeah. you know, not out of, uh, I mean, he rode in a donkey for for a couple of different reasons. One is that it was prophesied, and one is, um, you know, he was a humble man. You know, and then there's another issue where um, he, you know, a king would ride into town on a donkey if he was coming in peace and not for war. You know, and he was coming in, in peace to make peace. But um, you know, Christ was not a wealthy man, and and he uh, he would have had just a a good, nice, solid cup. Yeah. Why would it be ornate? Why would it be, you know, solid gold? You know, I mean, if you think about it, you know, it would be that the humble thing, the humble vessel right. that he was, you know? Well, and you look at the Nazi and why he chose that one. I think that that would be, you know, the inclination to choose that one would come from, this is a thing of power, right? You know, this is a thing of power. This is a thing that that would as you're holding it in your hands would show you know there's a mighty man would hold this you know and and a, a wealthy man would hold this and mm-hmm. you know let's let's make it look like the power that it has but that's just not not the, the truth of it i mean honestly you it wouldn't even necessarily be this grand statement about christ and you know his his humbleness and that kind of thing it, it <laughs> Just very simply, you know, just who has cups like that? You know, like <laughs> you're just you just pick up the cup that looks like they would have used back then as a cup. And yeah. Yeah. But maybe the Nazis just watch too many movies. <laughs> but in Excalibur, yeah. this is what it looked like. That's right. In that movie that's going to come out in 30 years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think what would have, you know, and someone in the 1930s thought that, you know, this might be. I mean, you know, their only references would be, I mean, I guess there were probably silent films that had, you know, Holy Grail stuff in it that maybe lost to. Which exist. Uh, I want to see these. I didn't know this until <laughs> recently. There, There is a... Um, a silent film called Percival. That's, okay. Uh, and and there's a silent film. Uh, I think I have my notes here. Uh, the Light in the Dark, which uh-huh. Lon Chaney is in. Oh, you serious? Yeah. And That's and it's fantastic. about um, finding the Grail in modern times. Oh wow! Okay. So I don't know if these still exist. Like you can find them on YouTube. A lot of silent films. That's that are still in existence. You can now find on YouTube. Right. Um, and, and so Percival, I, Percival is another one of those, uh, the, the French versions of the stories. He's the one that, that finds the, the, uh, the great, like you, you mentioned before. Oh, okay. So I'm not, I'm not completely wrong. No. Oh, okay. Good. I, I, I thought I was crazy, but I'm not. Okay. That, cool. That, that would have been the first time you've ever been wrong on strangers and aliens. We couldn't. Well, we, we, couldn't we dodged that. that bullet. Exactly. <laughs> 
You know, I wasn't going to say anything until I found out that I wasn't wrong. But that's right. Now that I know that I wasn't wrong, I can say I was wrong about being wrong. Well, you would have gone back in time to change things to make you, you know. Well, you, you thanks for telling everyone that I have that ability now. Oh, you can edit that in post. I, I'm going to have to. Um, but also T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. Oh, um, yeah. You know, and. Um, that's uh, that's a short read. Well, it's a poem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say if you're if you're looking for a grail homework right now, that's a good one to to go into. If you want something, yeah. If you want the, if you want to get the good flavors of stuff, but you don't want to do the deep dig, um, yeah, that that would be a good one. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wasteland TSL's Wasteland is like the um, Sam's Club uh, sample that you get when you're going through the grocery, <laughs> you know, and they give that little plastic cup and Steve twice now, twice in the last three weeks, I happened to go on Saturday to pick up some stuff for my church and my friend, both times they had the most amazing steak <laughs> and I'm, nice. I, I put it in my mouth and I just, Oh, this is so good. It's so expensive. I'm not buying any. But I got to have a bite of it, a bite of heaven right now. Nice. It was so good. It was so good. Sounds good. So that that's like a 434-line poem would be like a the Sam's Club uh, sample. Yeah. You're saying. Okay. Right. Just trying to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And sure. also in, in 1930 um, – uh, Charles Williams, I don't know if he would have been translated into German, uh, but uh, his poem, he's the he's a, a contemporary of uh, Tolkien and Lewis. He was in the Inklings. Um, his book, A War in Heaven, deals with um, at least what they think is the grail. I don't want to ruin it for anybody if they haven't read it yet. But like it's, me, uh, this one I have not read, but I want to. I'm halfway through it. And I actually like dug through like a, a, a chapter and a half yesterday to see if I could get, like it, have it inform me any more in this podcast. And I just had no time to read today. And so I, I was like, I, I even have like this other book called The Novels of Charles Williams. And I didn't want to ruin the rest of the novel, but I'm like skimming it to see if there's any like big paragraph about the grail. And I'm just like, ah, oh, well, and uh, if you like that sort of stuff, I mean. Uh, Williams, uh, a lot of his stuff has has Catholic overtones, but uh, it's it's it has a lot of horror elements to it. Let me let me put it that way, where it's not it's not gory, gratuitous horror for horror's sake, but it's the type of horror that you would get if you went too close to something holy. You know that type of like awe that type of, of feel to it and uh reading his stuff sometimes i mean just the way he's describing things you're like oh why don't they film that you know because he's he's describing stuff that you've seen in films you know 50 times now but he's describing it back in the 30s where it's it's you know completely l literary and uh very vivid very uh interesting way that he's he writes 
Um, I, I really, really, really want to to read that. I haven't gotten around to it. I did check it out of the library when I was in college, but didn't read it mm-hmm. then, and have not come across it since then, and and haven't uh, taken the time to order it and and read it. But <laughs> yeah. all that time that it would take. Um, yeah. So what would the what would the Nazis think about the Grail? I mean, you know they. Well, clearly, <laughs> because it happened, I mean, th- they would look at the Grail and be like, hey, it's going to be the most beautiful, big thing, powerful thing. Um, but, uh, you know, part of that does, obviously, we're talking about a fictional story. But we're talking about a fictional story that um, uh, is saying something, you know, I mean, Spielberg definitely gets in his his knocks toward the Nazis in in the pop culture realm with, with Indiana Jones. And then he does Schindler's list, which is much more meaningful because it's a true story. But, um, you know, then what's the Nazis view of power, you know, they're, they're, they're taking power and they're, they're, they're stealing power and they're using power. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I feel like the movie is true to itself in that scene. I, I feel like the, the the movie itself, when they have that scene happen, uh, and he picks the cup that he picks, like that feels like a logical consistency right. for, the, for the movie. Yeah, it and it, it at that point, it doesn't. It transcends the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes, that's what it has been through the entire film, but at that point it just takes on that other thing that it does, you know, that, that it almost, because it represents Christ, it, it takes on that element in the story where they can't say, you know, they're not picking Jesus out of a a police lineup or they're (laughs) not, you know, doing something that overt. They're doing something that has that, that real symbolic reference to Christ taking it out of the, the language that, you know, the, the symbolic language that we have, it's not a cross. It's not an ichthus fish, you know, it's, it's a grail. It's a a cup. And as much as that's been handed down over and over and over to us through time, it's lost the direct, translation the the direct equation to christ you know and in that in that time right there you get it that's what it means and all of a sudden it's like everything pops yeah i i yeah i i would agree with you on, on that i wouldn't i wouldn't agree necessarily that it's lost the equation to christ uh completely it definitely does in some secular retellings of of this um but in in the case of indiana jones um has always surprised me how how respectful i mean maybe that's the wrong word but how respectful uh steven spielberg is with that movie Mm-hmm. You know, where here you have a man who, by all accounts that I'm aware of, he, he's uh, he's a Jewish man, but I, I don't think he's particularly a man of faith. And right. and and so here he is kind of making this this, you know, to him, I guess, 
uh, you know, a fantasy. And, and all of it is a fantasy, you know, every bit of it, even the, the Christ part, you know, is fantasy. So it's not just, hey, the grail is a fantasy. It's the man who held the grail is also a fantasy. But here in this, in the context of the story, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to treat the story as if it's true. And if it's true, what would it be like? And, and what, what, what would it look like? And, and what would um, the power you know, that's within it's, it's a healing power. Now it's a physical healing, but it, you know, there's, it's a healing power within, and that's not what the Nazis are looking for necessarily. Right. So, um, another movie that uses the grail that I really like is the Fisher King. And it's been a few years since I've seen it. Yeah. Um, another coming out of Monty Python. Yeah. Terry Gilliam is the yeah. director of that. And he's one of my favorite directors and I can't wait because, uh, Less than a week from the day that we are recording this, I get to go see the the man who killed Don Quixote, which yeah. is a movie he's been working on for twenty five years. Um, he wrote the script, and then it took him about five years to get funding. He finally starts making the movie, and a storm destroys their sets, and there's all <laughs> sorts of things happening uh, that just go wrong and keep going wrong. Um, and so now, finally. Uh, 20 years later, 20 years since he, he started trying to actually film it, but 25 years since he's started working on it, um, this movie comes out. And there's still trouble. There's legal issues with uh, the rights. So it's not getting a wide release in the States because it can't. And so it's a one-night-only <laughs> Fathom event. Um, man, I, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I I'm kind of having to bring my own... Um, expectations down <laughs> because you know <laughs> it's quite possible it's, it's just not going to be the greatest movie ever you know it's it's very possible but yes yeah but almost every movie that terry gilliam has made now i have not seen the zero theorem and i have not seen tideland his latest two movies um but even you know brothers grimm was a hollywood movie he made that it it just is you know classic hollywood um, fantasy adventure, uh, not the greatest, but he's—you can still get his flair in there every once in a while. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, Twelve Monkeys, great movie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a rough movie. There's there's language and violence in that movie, but it's it's a good movie. Right. Uh, but then you have um, the Fisher King, which he made. I think it was his. I think the Fisher King. He made Time Bandits. Well, no, he, he did Monty Python, Holy Grail. Uh, went on to do the Jabberwocky, did Time Bandits, and then um, uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, and and Brazil was in there too, I think. And and these are big giant fantasy movies that went way over budget. And so this is the first movie, <laughs> the first movie that he did that had a low budget that wasn't going to get ex just grow. And also was from a script that he didn't originally write. And the idea is it's um, uh, Robin Williams. That's the guy. Uh, Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. Robin Williams um, had a horrible tragedy in his life that caused him to have these um, visions of uh, a horrifying red knight that chases him around New York City. Mm -hmm. um, but that also causes him to think he's on the quest for the grail 
And so he's kind of entered into this fantasy realm and can't handle reality. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays a um, radio DJ, um, talk radio guy, who is just spouting off at the mouth, but actually something he says resounds with a guy who's crazy, and that guy goes and shoots up a nightclub, and that's the tragedy that happened to Robin Williams' character, is that his wife was in the nightclub and died. And so now you have this these kind of two broken men together, uh, and Robin Williams believes he's on a quest to get the grail. And I don't want to spoil too much because I actually think it is a, a movie worth watching. But um, yeah, but the grail quest gets gets passed on. And and a lot of times the grail quest goes along with brokenness or with uh, an Excalibur. You know, England is dying and and there's infighting and Arthur is dying and Arthur kind of represents um, England. And, and so as he's losing his health, England is losing its health and it's entering into this dark time. And so they have to find the grail and the grail will heal the land and heal the king. And, you know, it, it, and so this is another one where the Christ stuff in the Fisher King is not very front and center at all. Right. Um, but just that background idea of healing. And, and if we get the grail will be healed and, mm-hmm. and it will, it will take care of us. And um, yeah, so that's, that's another one that, yeah, it, I think it uses the metaphor. Well, um, if not explicitly. Yeah, I, I can see that, but I just, I, I really think that it's one of those things where it was, it was a device used by Christ. And then in the month, not in the, uh, <laughs> what's the guy's name? Harrison Ford plays him in those three movies. Uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> I completely <laughs> lost it. Indiana Jones movie. Um, it, it has like an equation to Christ that it doesn't have in those things where it's, it's not just something, it would be as if, Excalibur now equals King Arthur. Like, you know, you have Excalibur, so you have King Arthur. And this, it's sort of like you have the grail, so you have Christ. It, it, and it, at least to me, it was that much of a an equation between the two things. You uh, know? In, in the Fisher King, it's 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 all fantasy anyway. Right. You know, right. I mean, within the context of this fantasy movie, there is fantasy and that's something terry gilliam uses a lot uh mm-hmm. in brazil and fisher king um even for in a little a little ways uh in 12 monkeys um in fear and loathing in las vegas where um it's the hunter s thompson movie where they're tripping on drugs a lot i mean he he uses fantasy worlds to um Really, I mean, with his characters a lot, where they they enter into these fantasy worlds, and and the idea is, yes, it actually is a fantasy world that they're entering into, mm-hmm. um, in their mind, within their mind, and and in the story, it's not real. Um, well, Adventures of Bear Munchausen is a is all about a man creating these fantasy worlds. It's about right. this uh, man who tells all these tall tales about his life and his ex- exploits. Um, yep. So. Yeah, Terry Gilliam. I, I love 
love him as a director. I'm, I, like I said, I haven't seen the last two movies that he made. Right. Yeah. Some fantastic stuff and like fantastic in the real sense of fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a real, he's a visionary as in the sense that he creates visions, you know, it's, he's all about a lot. The visuals are a big part of what he does. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about the actual cup then. Um, let's talk about the actual story. Um, because this, we were talking about the sense of these, the cup in these fantasy things, but this is actually, this is a thing that existed. Mm -hmm. There was a cup that Jesus took um, so in, in the, in Matthew, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I just threw in that last verse because that's just a fascinating little verse for me. <laughs> that they they sung a hymn together and and then went to the Mount of Olives where Jesus went to pray um, yep. alone. Well, he didn't intend to pray alone. <laughs> But, but he was the only one awake to do the praying. So he was alone. But yeah, we always say that. Well, we say, uh, uh, we refer to that part. Um, when we do communion at our church and we, we sing a hymn and it's just sort of like that nice little coda that, uh, well, that's actually, uh, I don't have it in front of me right now, but there is actually a, a Psalm or two that we can kind of narrow down what they might've been singing. And actually that's another thing that's in that, uh, that Easter episode that we did uh, a couple years ago uh, that, that I did with my family um, where they, that's, that's part of the traditional um, Passover time is uh, to, to sing a hymn when you're done. And it's a specific Psalm, I believe that they would have sung. And it's, it, yeah, it's just fascinating to me because he just did the things that they did back then, you know, like he, he worshiped as they did. He gave thanks, you know, with, with these, with the bread and with the cup, he, he gave thanks yeah, to his father, you know, for, for the food. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just, it's just really interesting to me to see these things in the gospels that are just showing Jesus doing people things. <laughs> you know uh, yeah um and uh, yeah I, I just i get jealous I've, I've told the kids in my class a couple times uh when i'm when i'm teaching i'm jealous of like peter <laughs> you know like to be there and see this yeah. I'm, I'm jealous of you know the guy who was blind and whose eyes were made to see. And one of the first things he sees is, is Christ, you know, yes. <laughs> like it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, one time I said it and there's this, there's this kid in my class, I'm not going to name him on the podcast, but um, he just is enthralled with any kind of story. And when you start telling a story, 
it's a conversation between you and him. The rest of the room does not exist. <laughs> and and so every once in a while I'll say, hey, and then this happened. He'd be like, oh man. And so this one time I said, guys, I gotta, I gotta admit to you, I'm I'm jealous of of the people in this story. And he just, oh, you should not be jealous. That is bad. You should not be jealous. <laughs> I'm like, You're right. <laughs> it is not a good thing, but yeah, and and just but the idea here where they're just doing this meal the way they do, and then he takes the bread and and takes this cup, and this is actually him breaking away from tradition now, um, as he's kind of introducing this idea of the new covenant, um, but he's kind of breaking away from tradition that falls under what happened in the in that old covenant, and mm-hmm. it's just very interesting to me. So that's one of the things that one of many things that, that sticks out to me when I, I take a look at this. Yeah. And it's, it's just to, I mean, to, to imagine everything falling into place the way it did. And he's there with the 12 and then the 11 and they're, they're eating and and then he starts and earlier in in the scriptures he's talking about you know if, unless you you drink uh, I forget exactly where the the quote is but unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh then you know you don't know me and and it loses a whole bunch of his you know his his crowd and then here they are and he's saying you know here it is this is it guys you know this is what it means you drink this wine you're drinking my blood you eat this bread you're eating my flesh you know and you know however you want to think about it metaphorically or whatever but you know to to take all of that and then to to minimize it to a cup and then for that cup later on to play the role that it did and, you know, I'm sure that there are people who watched the movie that maybe that was their touchstone that they, you know, they became a Christian. I mean, obviously, God can use anything to become for, you know, to and to do whatever he wants to do. People have come out of Satanism, but it's not like you're saying Satanism should be around because people come out of it to, to Christianity. But still, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's the type of thing where, you know, to have to have that thing whatever it was that he held in his hand i mean it could have been a plate you know it could have been that type of a thing a bowl that type of whatever and then to have it become just the macguffin that it was you know for a long time and it was you know the thing that the knights went on the quest for and you know to et cetera et cetera and and then it became this thing where you know and it, then what did it become and then you know the da vinci code thinks it's a person and you know and all this different stuff and now to have it you know, in a in a place where people, millions of people have seen it, and to have it, you know, at least to me, you know, really equate Christianity with it, and then you know, to other people, it might be a little bit more less metaphoric, but or more metaphoric, whichever way you want to look at it, but just to have it play out through history like that, and then to, you know, to to still be able to bring us to the point where you know, through all of it, yes, it's 
Christ's blood. It's the wine. It's Christ's blood. It's the bread. It's it's Christ's flesh, and what all of that means, and to to understand what it all means, and to still have this literary device called the Grail out there. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's so singular through history. You know, I'm trying to think of something else that's like it, but you know, other things pale in comparison. <laughs> it's the holy grail of holy grails. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. Um, and yeah, and and I just I'm I'm struck by yeah you know, just the normality of it too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's and that goes back to the Indiana Jones thing too, where right. this is the cup of a carpenter. Well, yes, but if you really parse it out and think about it, it's also the cup of you know the shepherd. <laughs> it's also the yeah. cup of probably you know the tax collector you know as far as just it's a it's just a cup it's just something that is everyday use for every um and probably i mean we we talked about these fantasy things that happen to it where joseph of arimathea gets it somehow for some reason and uh takes it to to england and whatever probably it just got put back down on the table they left and the owner of the household just cleared the table and and put it back with the other cups. Yeah. You know, and and more than likely it got used just as a cup by people who had no idea the significance of it. All right. Like that is just amazing to me to think about too. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't, I guess I I shouldn't say that. I should say I don't know if there's a deeper meaning to that. You know, to that idea that the cup probably just got used as a as a cup. Um, yeah, but I mean, where it is nowadays, it's you know the various atoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, exactly. It's uh, that's what it is. It, it, if if it was if it was made from some sort of uh, um, ceramic, then it, it's possible that it's you know there's shards of it somewhere out in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's also possible it's it's grounded to dust now, and yeah. Um, so you say it's just a cup, but at the same time, it's not just a cup. It was it touched him, you know. He touched it, and right. Um, and it has just the significance that resounds, yeah, now into history to today. Yeah, so. and just think about if you had a cup held by you know Stan Lee or Jack Kirby or. You know, and anyone that you you say is you know your your literary go to person or or whoever you know, I mean, that person in history, Shakespeare, you know, anybody, Milton, I mean, you know, whoever it is, and you would hold that thing and be like, you know, wow, I am holding the same thing that you know this person. You might even drink out of it and get like this extra tingle out of it or whatever, but it's like. <laughs> It's. I mean, if you think about that, and then you think about this, it's like, why would I get an extra tingle out of something that a man held, or a woman, you know, or whoever, you know, whatever it is, it's like, I should be getting that feeling every time I take communion. I should get that, and if I'm not, then... You know, as Corinthians says, am I, you know, 
am I doing this the right way? <laughs> you know, I don't want to, yeah. you know, eat yeah. and drink damnation on myself. So it's like, you, really, when you're doing that, make sure that you're understanding what you're doing, you know, and it's not just, wow, I get to, you know, oh, a little extra snack today or something. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, you know, the being at the same table with Christ and understanding. I mean, the, the disciples, I don't think they understood it. Or maybe one or two. Not at the time. Doesn't doesn't uh, say, yeah. but we understand it. So imagine that, you know, being there and understanding what he's doing, you know. And obviously we're not. And so what if and all that stuff. But still, it's it's just it it amazes me that you, people can just be like, you know, oh, it's communion. All right, zip zip, and all right, well, let's get out of here. <laughs> I mean, I'm the type of person where I'm like, we should do this every week, and it should be part of a, a meal, like this love feast, you know? And I'm like, yeah, of course, everyone's got their roast in the oven, and, you know, everyone needs to get out of there to watch the football game and stuff. But I'm like, don't you get it? <laughs> it should be this wonderful thing. But, you know, what we have, you know, it it has served the purpose for you know, a couple thousand years now, and maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe it's too grandiose if you do that. And maybe you know it'll be abused like it was back in the uh, early churches. You know, with people just making it a feast. So, you know, we have that special thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Steve, it's that time where I'm going to ask you for a final word. Oh, well, final word. Uh, I mean, honestly. It, there's there's no uh, no dishonor in using that as your final word. What you just said. Well, no, I'm but. actually going to use your challenge as like sort of a holy grail to get the final word here. Okay. Let's see. My final word is. Uh huh. Oh, yes. oh, oh, I have a good one. I have a good one. Hold on. You say something else, and then I'm going to find uh, this. I will say, hey, find my Kickstarter. <laughs> Because I'd really appreciate it if you would uh, help support and become a participant in that audio drama series that we're doing. And that's at www.supersonicpodcomics.com slash Kickstarter. Do it. Do it and do it again. Got a final word for us? I do. Okay, let's hear it. It is. This also is thou. Neither is this thou. Great. And I am going to say thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, hanging out with us on Facebook. And uh, if you find us on Twitter, then that's amazing because <laughs> <laughs> we don't spend much time there. But no, um, but thanks a lot for listening and thanks for spending time with us. Uh, and hopefully this has gotten you thinking about something a little bit different um, as, you know, that's 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 the main hope whenever we talk about anything um spiritual is is hopefully we're getting you thinking about stuff and and that's what i'm hoping here too as well and with that said i want to just wish you a safe journey and godspeed you've been listening to the strangers and aliens podcast hosted by ben avery evan david steve mcdonald and dr jason neal Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. 
We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-37-ALIEN. And once again, thanks for listening. Stop simmering.